Hello there, and thanks for joining us here on the Lion's Guide podcast. And if you've been with us on this journey already, hey, welcome back. And if you're new to the show, welcome to the Lion's Guide community, where you can expect to be inspired and empowered as we explore the stories of our guests and the lessons they've learned. We also interview various subject matter experts and also review books and other resources to help you establish clarity, have courage, and lead the way. I'm your host, Dale Walls. I'm the founder of Lion's Guide. And on this episode, we've got Mr. Jason Hardrath. And Jason is an adventurer, athlete, and speaker, as well as a physical education teacher who summited Washington's 100 tallest mountains in 50 days, 23 hours, making him the first person to accomplish 100 FKTs, which are fastest known times. In this episode, Jason takes us through his journey from being a struggling child with severe ADHD to finding his passion for the outdoors as a sponsored athlete. We explore his lessons learned through struggle and adversity and the mindset it takes to achieve what others think is impossible. It's an awesome conversation. I loved it, so I'm pretty sure you're going to love it too. So if you like the sound of that, then go ahead and hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content. Uh, and as always, this podcast is sponsored by Lions Guide. And if you've been tuning in and getting value from the show, then I want to invite you to go to lionsguide.com and join our member community. For no cost to you, it's free. You get access to all kinds of free exclusive online training to level up your personal professional growth, as well as get access to yet to be released episodes of the podcast, reading list live virtual training events. We've got a private online group to engage with other growth-minded members and a whole lot more. So again, joining Lions Guide community is free and it's all there to help you keep leveling up to be the best version of yourself by establishing clarity, building your courage and being the true leader of your life. So check it out now. Go to lionsguide.com and join today. And with that said, let's start the show. everyone and on today's podcast we have mr jason hardrath who was featured in a cool movie journey to 100 it's out there on youtube we're going to talk about that today amongst a bunch of other things and uh got that jason on linkedin i think when you were like promoting when it first came out or something like that and uh, i was like man let's get on a podcast and talk about it and that was like months ago and and then uh here we are man so uh welcome tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do Absolutely. I, I'm super excited to be here. I was, I was super excited about this film coming to fruition. Um, the, the film Journey to 100, what it chronicles is this uh, four-year project of my life to become the first uh, person to do 100 FKTs. For those who don't know, they're Fastest Known Times. Um, there's a website, fastestknowntime.com, that's dedicated to keeping track of these records, which it's basically the fastest time on any major trail system, on mountain peaks, on link-ups, across deserts, all of these major human undertakings that there's no way you could ever run a race or get a permit or the insurance to to actually host an event in these spaces. But us, us as humans, we, we love testing ourselves in some of the most extreme places on earth. And I fell in love with that process. Uh, just I'd been a racer. Obviously, I'm sitting in my school office, which you see in the film, and I have 143 bib numbers up on the wall. So I'd raced a ton of times. Um, so that that process, well, I guess you know what you're paying a race director for is 
to take the logistics out so that you just show up and focus on fitness, right? He's got the course marked so you don't have to worry about where you're going. He's got the food and water set out so you don't have to worry about where that's coming from. Um, but when you step out in the FKT realm, it's like, oh, all of that's all of that creativity, all of that problem solving is back on back on your shoulders. And it's like that felt really good to me to try to figure out some of these extreme spaces. Like, how does a human being move effectively and efficiently and safely? through these spaces. And so I set the goal of being the first person to, to do 100 of them. And, uh, you know, push come to shove. Some people fell in love with what I was doing and wanted to make a film of it. Athletic Brewing was the, was the big sponsor behind the film, um, which is their cool non-alcoholic brewing company, fastest growing brewery in North America, and they don't do any alcoholic beer. Um, so yeah, turned into a film and the film just released. And so, yeah, I have so much to talk about. So excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm making, I'm adding to my list as you drop all that and give us a little bit of your background, right? Like, so, cause we got to bring you down to earth a little bit, man. You got freaking a hundred and hundred plus bibs behind you, but I think you're a normal human being like the rest of us. What, uh, where do you come, where did you come from? Like how, how was growing up with you? where did you grow up at? Absolutely. I was born in small town, Eastern Oregon, a little town called Baker city, Oregon. It's a historic little downtown, um, from way back, uh, in like the 1800s sometime is when it was founded or incorporated as a city. So it's, uh, it's, it was one of the stops along the Oregon trail. So very historic little town, um, grew up there kind of, it's an agricultural town. Um, it kind of had died out a bit because of the logging being shut down. Um, so kind of, that was, that was where I grew up this idea that it's like, yeah, humans go out to do things like cut down wood and to hunt and to fish. Um, but not so much that humans go out to do tests of their own, you know, of their own human spirit and, and physical tests, especially. Um, so I learned that it was normal to go into the outdoors as a human being. And I was very comfortable with that, uh, because of experiences as a kid, either hunting or riding motorcycles. Um, but then sort of discovered, uh, the hard way, I guess you could say, being an ADHD little kid, that sitting still was not something I could succeed at. Uh, constantly in trouble in school, constantly ruining friendships with impulsive behavior, uh, getting kicked out of school, suspensions, parents having to come come to school to deal with issues. Um, really troubled childhood, really, really struggled. Um, and so I found physical tests as a, a way, physical activity as a way well, one, it, it was an antidote to my inability to sit still mm. in a way, I, even though it didn't fix it completely, it helped. Like at least I got a ton of physical activity. I could sit still for a little while, but on the other end, it gave me this whole forum where it's like, wait a minute, this is something I can do where I'm not an abject failure getting judged by people and getting put down. Like I can go out here and I can work really, really hard and do really, really hard things. And people give me some respect for it. People, people, you know, people notice and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do more of this feels good to actually do good at something. Um, and so in middle school kind of set this goal, um, to break a six minute mile, um, because I was kind of, kind of close. I can look back now and be like, Oh, I wasn't that close. I was like running six twenty something. So 20, 20 something seconds off of a mile is a decent, decent mark to try to shave in a year. Um, but managed in the final PE mile of the year to shave, shave that time off, you know, and six minutes isn't anything elite for middle school, especially not anymore, but, it's what mattered to me back then. It was what I wanted to do. It felt important. Um, and it gave me something to aim at. And uh, I can still remember the final PE mile of the year, ran through the line. And, and all that was important to me is hearing the teacher's voice say five at the beginning. And it was a 5.57. I, 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 I like went back with the, and figured out exactly what the time was. 
Um, so it was a 557 that I ran, but I just remember hearing the five and just being so stoked and flopping into the grass, you know, like the worst <laughs> pain I'd been in up to that point in my, in my, you know, young life. Um, just like laying there, but so satisfied at the same time. And it just like solidified this goal setting mindset, um, where I'm like, okay, okay. So this feels really good to like aim at hard things and to like achieve them. Um, and so that became a really, really permeating thread through, through high school and into college as I set more goals and sort of, especially the running, running was my first love. So it's like, I wanted to run on varsity and then it's like, okay, now I'm on varsity. I want to go to state. Okay. I want to try to make it onto, and I'm not a super talented athlete. Don't get me wrong. One of the, one of the first hard reality checks I had was I was like, all right, I want to try to break my school record for the 1500 meter. And I came nowhere near that mark just failed horribly. Um, but you know, it, it taught me to like set my expectations within reality. Um, and so it's like, okay, I want to run in college. I want the, in my thought back then, right. Being a kid's head, it's like, I want to get paid to run in college, like college scholarship, right? Like I want to, I want to earn money. So I worked my butt off and marketed myself in a way that people really weren't like I submitted videos that my dad had recorded to colleges. And, you know, now that's super common. Um, but back then nobody was really doing that. And so, you know, pitched myself really hard and managed to run for a small NAI school and get a scholarship for it. Um, and so got to live that little, that little dream. And it was a huge test piece as well. It was like the fiery forge, uh, cause I had to work my butt off with these athletes that were way better than me. You mm. know, they'd been, you know, I, I marketed myself well. And so the punishment for that was <laughs> everybody else there who hadn't marketed themselves there well was way better than me. Yeah. And so I just remember in practices, like, uh, one specific hill repeat day, comes to mind where the coach was doing like heart rate checks after every repeat with 90 seconds rest. Cause we were supposed to start the next repeat after 90 seconds. And he's like, all right, uh, heart rates. And he's going through the na- list of names. All right. Beeson, uh, 134 Snell, 126, uh, search, uh, 121 hard draft, 178. Don't worry about it, coach. Let's just go. <laughs> um, and just had to suffer my way through this fiery forge to hang with these guys and stay on the team and not lose my scholarship. And I think that forged a lot of the, um, a lot of the resilience and the fitness to step out and do what I'm doing now. Well, even uh, your, you made me think of like, I, I feel like it's a Les Brown quote or something like that. Maybe you've heard this, like the one, like it, it's the start that stops people. Right. And you, you remind me of that when you're talking about as a kid, you put yourself through this challenge to beat the six minute mile. And it's a bit abnormal, even at that age, right? Like you're saying to like really pick a mark like that in a middle school and, and get after it the way you did. And what you learn from that. And, and, and that's why it reminded me of that quote, because how many people don't at any age really challenge themselves to face the fear of failure of a goal set, right? But here you did this at, at a middle age, middle school age and just blew it, blew it wide open for yourself thereafter, right? Because that's, that's not a, you don't need to do it middle school. It don't matter if you're 50 or 60. The minute you do that and kind of realize that you will live, you will survive and maybe you'll win, maybe you'll lose, whatever, but you're going to feel that feeling, right? To start taking that stuff on. So now I dig it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, now, now the way I think about it and the words I use for it, when you have a goal and it's not just like an arbitrary goal that someone else made up for you or a work goal or something you don't really care about, like, but when you have a goal, you, you choose and you've chosen that you care about and you're working toward it, it. To me, it's like, it orients you in your universe. 
like it reorients how you make every decision in your life. It's like, I've made decisions in my life about which jobs I accept and which jobs I don't and what career I'm going to pursue and whether I'm going to take on a responsibility here with this club or a coaching deal here. It's like, instead of valuing like, oh, well, I want to make as much money as I can, or I want to live in a really cool place. To me, it's like, how can I allow myself to continue to pursue the challenges that matter most to me? And I've literally like guided my life along this line of like, what's the goal I really care about most versus some other arbitrary measure of success that someone else sets out for me. And yeah, so I think of it as a way of orienting yourself in your universe. Um, for sure. Well, I love the way you put that, right? It's, it's the, it's the beauty of clarity in that it, it, and, and I always define clarity as vision, knowledge, and truth. And you, are truthful with what you're passionate about, right? Because there's all the golden treadmill crap, chasing money, chasing the, the cars. You're trying to impress other people, but when you're cha- when you're clear about what you're passionate about and what your goals are, and then you start to use that definition, that clarity, as a screen for all choices. And I love to work like I haven't used that word and trying to explain this to people, but yeah, it it reorients you, right? It gives you like your true north. So every decision, challenge, or whatever you have you have a better direction in how you're going to answer to it as opposed to being in that world of ambiguity or being not congruent with yourself right and those things hit you you actually got to think for yourself and what other people think and you know what i mean all that crap so i, I man i honor you for that that's 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 cool stuff yeah no and i mean i give i give people a lot of i think you know, there's a reason we call it putting ourselves together. You know, usually it's kind of said in an insulting way around here, like, ah, put yourself together. Um, But I think there's a genuine reason we use that phrase. It's like, we've got all these instincts, we've got all these emotions, we've got all this cognitive ability, we got all these societal and family voices in our head. And all this is like echoing to influence who we are. And I think what it really means to put oneself together is to deal with all of those insecurities, all of those instincts, all of those emotions, and to to rank order them inside ourselves and to orient them and channel them, that energy and that that drive that comes out of those into something that actually moves us forward instead of a, you know, abject nothing. Um, and so it's like, I give a lot of credit to anybody that can actually manage to to put themselves together in a way that they have momentum toward anything. Because I think we almost don't give people <laughs> enough credit um, who do that. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's not an easy task in a distracted society like we have yeah, now. Right. Yeah. Cause we're, we're so impressionable and frankly, we're so inundated with marketing and advertising on how we should look that to chase a passion that's off the beaten path of what I feel that we're promoted to how we should be makes you feel odd, right? Like, so yeah, like they people deserve that credit and probably don't get as much credit because there's such a like tribal effort to like I don't know golden treadmill it you know or we're we're chasing these things rather than again I'll just stick with the word passion for a minute like what we're truly passionate about and you know and, and you're right like it's it's I like that too putting yourself together and it's 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 why I love having these conversations because because we need to be talking about that more that it is okay to find your own uniqueness in this world, like in, in, right. Another cliche following your heart, right? Like, um, instead of your wallets and yeah, what, what other people are telling you you should be. So, yeah. And I, I mean, 
on that same note, I, I genuinely believe, because one, one of the quotes that influenced me as a, as a young man, well, I'll, I'll say two of them that apply to this. Um, one of them was for some reason the, and I guess I must have some instincts to be a sage inside me, like to the, one of my orienting values in this universe is to be of value and to have empowering things to say to others. And and so a quote that really stood out to me was from ancient Chinese wisdom, no stream rises higher than its source. And so if you believe that's true, that that you you can't do any better than where you're getting your information from, then if you want to be of value to others, you have to work to elevate yourself. You have to aim high. You have to struggle upward. And so that became an orienting thing for me at, at a very young age. And another one along with it, a mentor I had uh, he said to me, it's just a silly quote. It's just like, I've literally, it's guided my life is, is the funny part is, uh, human beings are like a tube of toothpaste. You find out what's truly inside when they get squeezed. And, and that to me, cause we live in this world that's so busy with veneers, wear the right clothes, dress for success, have the fancy car, have the flashy Instagram post. It's like all of this veneer, which is great. If you've got the authentic stuff underneath that leads to that sort of an outcome. It's fine. I don't have a problem with it. I'm not much of a veneer person myself. I'd rather just do the thing rather than talk about the thing. Um, but the, the way this quote struck me is it's like, Oh, I want to be put in situations where I'm squeezed. I want to be, I want to be stressed. I want to be fatigued. I want to, to be in this pain cave because then I get to find out who I really am. Right. Right. When everything's going right, anybody can be nice. You know, if everybody's friendly to you, it's easy to be friendly back. But when things are going sideways and you're beat up and beat down and stuff is wrong in life, who are you then? Yeah. And that, that, that became sort of an orienting like frame set, a, a framework in my mind um, that it's like, this is important. Who I am in these low moments is perhaps the most important thing in the whole world. Um, and, you know, I think I think that that's a really important way to to approach what we do as human beings because the hard times are going to come. Tragedy is guaranteed. Um, you know, you're going to lose loved ones. You're going to end up hurt. I just got I just had a freak accident. Uh, Twelve days, uh, no, fifteen days ago now. Um, I was out getting a hundred mile bike ride in. I was uh, basically done. All I had to do was coast downhill. I had five miles of downhill coasting and you know, hundred miles in the bag. Sweet, great training ride. And I'm at mile 98.5 deer come out, comes out of the woods, clips me as I'm doing 41 miles an hour and I'm in the hospital. You know, it could have gone a lot worse. I'm lucky to be alive. Shattered my helmet, uh, a ton of lost skin on all on this side of my, my left side of my body. Got really lucky with how I fell, no broken bones. Um, but in, in the snap of the fingers, anything you think you've built or you think you own can be gone. And, and what you're left with is is your process and it, what got you there in the first place. And if you're not in love with that, then man, you're going to be, <laughs> you're going to be in a world of hurt and it's going to be really hard to have hope and have focus in life. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like the mindset expect no easy days. And if you get them, be grateful for it. Otherwise just expect it to be hard, you know, expect to rise to it. And if it was easy, great. But otherwise, you know, buckle up and lean in. You know what I mean? Like, what about, um, so how did your parents, like growing up with all this ADHD stuff, like, and, you know, going, 
I, I, yeah, I feel like I want to say kind of non-traditional, like the way you're kind of focused on running and, and outdoors and stuff. Like how were your parents, how did they take kind of you growing up as a hyper kid and, and maybe this path that you're choosing to take? Mm, um, so yeah, I guess to rewind to when I was a kid, um, I was super lucky. I, I mean, a lot of kids who have ADHD as bad as I had it, uh, I mean, well, I'll, I'll, I'll chime my mom in first. I mean, her one goal was to be a mom. And if I didn't have a mom, if I had a mom who's like, oh, my goal is to be a lawyer. And then I also am going to have kids. I probably wouldn't have turned out well. Um, she showed up to help at school, probably more days in elementary school than she didn't because I was having some kind of problem. Um, and if it wasn't for her putting that extra time in and wanting to put that extra time in, um, yeah, we might've, we might've lost me to a much worse version of myself. Um, like that potential is very much inside me. Um, and so I have to give a huge shout out to her and, and she dug deep, right? Like ADHD now is like really common, widespread, commonly like talked about. There's tons of books about it, tons of research about she somehow in a time where that wasn't mainstream dug deep and figured this out and went and got me tested. And I had like a 37 second attention span. Um, and so like mad props to her, like, uh, forever, forever will appreciate that woman for what she did to make sure I didn't fail out of life before I even realized I was in life. Um, and then on, on my dad's side, he grew up in a really abusive household. And so he really struggled to deal with a kid who couldn't listen, would, would repeat mistakes, would do impulsive behaviors, would be annoying. Um, and so he kind of, you know, he'd like take off with my brother and I got left behind with mom, which, you know, a lot of families do that anyways, but that's, uh, that's pretty tough to interpret and deal with as a little kid. And the film, the film speaks to this a little bit as well for, for those who are interested in watching journey to 100, but, um, yeah, really tough to deal with as a, as a little kid. And I think it left me with a little bit of that, um, urgency to get acknowledgement, right? Because I felt like I was missing that, you know, it's like, I, I can piece this together with words now. But back then, it was just this uh, unknown urgency to to do something that mattered. Um, something something that someone might notice that might be of some value, um, to feel value to feel seen. And I think there's some connection there, right? Um, as is common with young people who have uh, struggles in their uh, paternal relationships. Do you do, do, you do much reading? Uh, I, I would say I read Decent, a decent amount. Yeah. <laughs> have, you, have you heard of or read um, the Body Keep Score? I've heard of it. I have not read it yet. It's on. It's it's in queue. Yeah, yeah. It's a good one, and it talks to this, right? Because you know we all experience trauma, and, and a lot of childhood trauma exists. It, this book was really enlightening on how much childhood trauma is out there, and in in the end, it really speaks to the importance of teachers, which I think you would appreciate being able to recognize signs of trauma, right. And, and how to deal with it properly. But, you know, I would say like, to your point, what you're, cause what you're talking about is a form of abandonment, right? Your, your dad didn't run out on the house or whatever, but as far as like a fatherly relationship with you to make you feel, you know, uh, I don't know the right word per se, like appreciated or acknowledged is, is the word I'm looking for, right? Like to not get that, it's kind of like traumatic for a young man, especially, uh, you know, in that. So it's it's something for you to overcome and come through, but it's it's a form of, of, of abandonment of sorts that you're not getting that fulfillment and you, just like any other 
traumatic response, like you're going to, you're going to respond, you know, somehow in, yeah. So now I totally get it. And I do think I do, I don't want people to get me wrong. I do think I would have been a driven type personality anyways, a very motivated, like animated human being like that, that was in my nature anyways. But I think, I think that this, uh, trauma, as you call it, this struggle, um, it, it sort of enhanced it in a certain way. Um, and it kind of owned me for a while, uh, and especially like to add to the story, one of the ways my dad reconnected with me, you know, I think he had more time to put himself together a little bit, right. To use that phrase from before. Um, but also uh, something he could understand, right. Something he could grasp was when I got to high school and suddenly I'm getting into running and I'm like getting onto varsity and all this stuff. It's like, okay, like, Hey, if you, if you, um, qualify for state, I'll, I'll buy you a couple pairs of running shoes and give you 50 bucks. Like, you know, he made these attempts to like reconnect and get more involved. Um, and then, you know, like I mentioned, he helped record videos so that I could pitch myself to college and stuff. So it like this pushing myself physically, not only sort of gave me an identity and a way to feel successful, um, just among my peers, but also then I reconnected with my dad through it. And, you know, we still had a lot of stuff we had to work out, but like that reconnect, I think enhanced the, the like wiring of me being driven toward these physical challenges. And I had to do some, I definitely had to do some set work on self in college because even going into college, I think I was still a bit owned by it, right? It wasn't me in control of it. It was it driving every aspect of me. What's the, it we're talking about like, uh, this like search and push for acknowledgement recognition, uh, the, you know, next level of achievement. And so I had to do the work on self to kind of go, okay, like what is going on inside me? Why is it there? And had a very cathartic talk through like, you know, it was old enough to like put together like, oh, wow, you know, for who my dad, how my dad grew up, the person he was able to be and how he kept a biz, a small business running to provide for our family when it should have failed multiple times through my childhood, um, the experiences he provided, um, to get me out and out the outdoors, um, you know, the resources, it's like, wow, he, he crushed it. He did a good from wit from the framework he started from, like what an amazing arc as a human being. And to be able to like acknowledge him for that and to be like, Hey, I get it. I, I'm old enough to understand now. Thank you. was a huge moment for us. Like, you know, tears, tears moment for us. Um, I even tear up a little bit right now, just thinking back on it. Um, and also for me to be able to go, okay, like I'm not owned by the, cause I can, I can understand it now. I can understand how the levers work inside me. Um, I'm not owned by it anymore, but I'm almost still grateful for it. Right. Because like when I want to, that switch is still there. And I think in a way, some people who maybe grow up where nothing like that happens, maybe, don't have access to these, like the, the deepest wells of their own abilities. Um, cause they, they haven't had to call upon that repetitively. And so it, like, I very much appreciate with the endeavors I have that there's this switch inside me that it's like, no, whatever it takes. Um, and I know what that feels like. Um, and so, yeah, I think all of that ties into this picture of like, how, how could someone have the energy, have the, uh, the drive, have the the mental fortitude to be able to deal with chaos um, and the unknown, right? Because this this hundred peak project that I did for my hundredth FKT, so you know that's one of the hard things to track with this. Is I did ninety nine previous records, and then for my hundredth record, 
it was 100 peaks for a single record. So you and were way into the FKT thing because I don't, I don't know. Maybe that was said in the movie, but I, it, I didn't know that. I, I know this came. I'd learned about the FKT thing through the movie. hadn't heard of it before. But so you're saying you had 99 FKTs, and then you set it up. Your hundredth KT. Uh, FKT was yep. to do a hundred peaks or whatever. So, yeah, so give us, was, what was it? What's, what's the, yeah, absolutely. So it was this, um, really challenging peak list in the state of Washington. It's like a, it's a kind of a U.S. test piece. Um, not, not the whole list, but a lot of the peaks on it are peaks that, you know, help cut some of the best American mountaineers that go out to climb big mountains and other, uh, other places. Um, the cascade mountains in the state of Washington are just classics. Um, and so this list included a bunch of those. Um, and so it kind of had this, this heritage and it already had an established uh, record. Um, so it already had been like done in sort of not, not a continuous style where it was the, I'm not going to go home till it's done style, which kind of gave it that fresh unknown, like I'm reaching into chaos to pull this out. Like there are a bunch of people who doubted I could do it. It's like, ah, no, something's going to go wrong. A fire will happen. It, the, a route will melt out. Um, bad weather will go like shut you down. Like there's no way that this can be done in a single season. Um, and so it was like reaching into the unknown because the, the previous record was 410 days. So over a year. Um, and I was trying to make a quantum leap on that because I'd seen, you know, I'd seen what other athletes had done in other mountain ranges. And I'm like, okay, if I bring that same tenacity that I'm not going to go home till I'm done continuous push style. Um, and I, I, pre-plan all of these technical routes and link-ups ahead of time so that they're all like chess pieces in my mind. So if something goes wrong in one area, I can just shift pieces around and circle back. Yeah, it was like six months of Zoom chats with other mountaineers who have done the list or were working on the list and looking at maps and building maps. I mean, my, my final map on Caltopo probably looked something to the effect to an average person who didn't didn't know anything about mountains and planning probably looks something like, uh, you know, when the movie scene goes into the crazy person's bedroom and the yarn is going to all these different <laughs> yeah. pictures and all these different documents. Like it probably is the equivalent of, of that kind of crazy person, um, <laughs> in its expression. Um, but it was a super complex thing to put together, which was very drawing to me. Um, and, and I guess the thing that was even more drawing than that was, over the course of the 99 FKTs leading up, like these aren't, some of them are flat trail runs, like easy trail runs, like a handful of them are. But what I really was drawn to and what I really focused on was these linkups of technical terrain. I was very drawn to the tests nature held. Um, I wanted there to be rock climbing. I wanted there to be glacier travel. I wanted there to be route finding. I wanted there to be these unknowns that I had to solve for. Cause it's like, I'm not the fastest guy when push comes to shove. Like if you just put me in a foot race, I'm, I'm slightly ahead of average. You know, I might be in the lead pack, but I'm, I'm not going to win. But, but what I've discovered is because I have this drive and because I've built this, this mental fortitude and this skill set. And I have a drive, the, this drive in the application of the skill set. I'm able to move through terrain efficiently that a lot of people are like, whoa, this is scary. Whoa, I need to slow down. Whoa, I'm not sure here. Ooh, uh, maybe I'm too tired to make it through this. I'm able to be like, nope. And, and I think with ADHD comes maybe uh, a little bit of a, an, an enhanced brain body connection uh, where the thing I'm tuned into is the the and maybe that's why we're so animated as ADHD people. So, so driven to move our bodies is that we're very connected 
to our bodies. And most people can kind of like not listen to the part of their body that's saying, get up and move. You need to move. And for us, it's just impossible to not hear that. It's like, that's turned to volume 11. It's like, move your body. And we're like, okay. Um, and then it's like, teachers, like, why are you out of your desk running around the classroom? Um, it's like, I couldn't sit still. Um, so I think, I think that, you know, that all ties into like how a project like this uh, becomes possible and why it would be drawing. And, and I think the last component is sort of like looking into myself. The other thing is like being an ADHD mindset is like super chaotic in, in my own mind, like trying to hold together my thoughts in a linear path. As I'm talking to you, there's all these different tangents and stories and things I could go off on that are just bouncing around in my head. But when I, when I pull onto a technical sort of fear inducing aspect of terrain, like I'm say, say I pull onto a rock route during the middle of a record breaking attempt. Um, everything goes quiet. It's like, I feel the grain of the rock under my fingertips. I feel the tension in my calf muscle. I feel the breeze across my hair and skin. It's like absolute silence and nothing but the sensation of the movements. And for me, I mean, that's more a sanctuary than any church I've ever been inside of. Um, it's just beautiful silence and beautiful experience. Um, and so, of course, I'm going to be drawn. I'm going to be very personally drawn to experiences like that because they allow me to sort of transcend my, my normal status quo experience, to have a beyond ordinary experience. Um, and so you know, that was, that was part of the rationale. Like, why would I do a hundred FKTs? Like, what's the draw to it? Are you just doing it to try to be the first person? It's like, no, what I knew from the beginning is if I do 100 of these, that means I will have motivated myself to go out and have a hundred of these memories and a hundred of these moments where I was actually out there having this beyond ordinary experience. And that's way better than zero of them. Um, so, you know, why choose many over instead of, you know, some people are like, well, why didn't you just train and focus on doing like one, one really good one for the year? It's like, well, that would have meant I was sitting around and just training for, you know, 360 days of the year. And I got to go have the amazing experience for five days. Like that doesn't sound like a good exchange when I could just go out and spend as many days as I possibly can in an optimal experience. Um, so like the rationale came from a very personal place. And the outcome of like being the first one to a hundred was very secondary. And I keep, I keep that distinction in my mind. Um, it's very important for me to keep that straight. I feel even now that it's done, because I think it's really easy to conflate an end result with why you did it in the first place. And that can really be damaging to your motivation. If you think, oh, the only reason I do stuff is because I get something in the end. Um, like even if zero people had cared about anything I ever did, it was still worth it to me. Right. And, and that's really important for me to hold on to. Hey guys, Dale here. And I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join the launch of the Lions Guide community called The Pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique. Like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And you know, what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against and it's pretty demanding. The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lions Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet, but exceed those demands on you and in doing so, find your joy again. 
If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguy.com and sign up to join the Pride. The Pride is the Lions Guy community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast as a member, you'll get access not only to all the podcasts, but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So get access to all this and more. So break out of that rut, break into your next level, and join me on lionsguide.com, and let's grow together. Go to lionsguide.com and become a member of the Pride today. Now back to the show. It's something I've been teaching clients recently. It's it's uh goal setting through the goal, right? So I tell people like, don't focus on just the finish line, but focus on the finish line so that what? Like finish the sentence. Like my goal is X so that what? And that so that piece is going through the goal. It's not just the finish line, it's in its on. Like what I hear, I think you're saying, you correct me or, or yeah, or correct the statement, right? Like you intended to do this not just to say you could do it, right? You you were going to complete this FKT 100 so that you can have that experience, right? You understand what I'm saying? It wasn't just yeah. that was the finish line. There was a so that attached to it that made it more powerful. Absolutely. So, and I, I mean, you can look, right? There's layers. There's layers of the same structure inside itself here. It's like a kaleidoscope. So within the 100 FKT project, and then also within each individual FKT, it would be really easy to think like, oh man, the thing he's focused on when he does an FKT with a clock running, right? Because you assume that when a clock is running, the whole goal is the finish line. Um, but quite the contrary for me, because you know, some people will make the argument like, oh, aren't you missing so much in nature because you're going so fast? It's like, well, I've never complained about missing the scenery when I'm doing four miles an hour in my car. Um so that's just a joke that, that some friends and I toss around. It's like, even when you're running in the mountains, you're not missing much. Um, so the thing I've noticed is for me personally, if I'm just going slow and casual, it almost feels like I'm missing part of the experience. For me, the full richness of being out in nature is to bring the fullness of my nature to bear on whatever obstacle or difficulty nature has to offer me in that space. And that creates the maximum experience for me. And so the clock running is something that induces a stronger in the moment experience. So it's not that I'm just racing to get to the finish line. I, I like run the clock and I race because in the moment it's a richer experience than if I just went out and casually walked through the same exact same space. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of this understanding that if I, if I build a structure like this, where I aim at a goal that involves a clock running, uh, in particular for me, then all of the moments I get to have as I do that thing are a little bit richer. And so I, you know, have repeated that, that process that works for me. And yeah, it's, it's sort of this question of like, how many rich and meaningful moments can I create in my life? Um, and some of those rich and meaningful moments, right? Because in my mind, you know, a bad experience, like feeling pain and being in the pain cave and suffering is not the opposite of having like a happy, joyful, uh, blissful experience. Those, those aren't opposites in my mind. The, the opposite of having a, a rich, blissful experience or even a rich, 
uh, like I'm in pain and suffering experience is to feel nothing. Like that's, that's the thing to be avoided is to go through is the days of life we can go through where we feel nothing about our existence that day. Just an absence of anything of meaning, an absence of anything that challenges us, an absence of anything that's either happy or sad. Like to me, I, I struggled with some some depression in college, um, just really up and down. And some days, like I couldn't even get out of bed to feed myself. Uh, like I almost missed a track meet once. My 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 uh, teammates luckily saved saved me that day and had the bus stop and came in and drug me out onto the bus so I didn't lose my scholarship. Um, and like that's even something I love, right? Like I loved running at that time, still love running. And in those moments, the way I describe them, the way I remember them is it wasn't that I was sad. It was just this feeling of complete hollowness, this feeling of colorlessness, flavorlessness, like thinking about going to eat my favorite food, like, you know, trying to find a way to motivate myself to get out of bed. It's like thinking about my favorite food. It was as if it was going to be tasteless. Thinking about my favorite activity was as if it was going to be meaningless. Like, it was just like every, all the color was drained out of everything. All the, all the feeling was drained out of everything in those low moments. And so in my mind, like that's the opposite. That's the thing to be avoided is, is to feel nothing about the world around us. So even if I'm having, if like, and in the moment, like I can actually have the, the cognition to the awareness to, to, to think this, like even when I'm out there and I'm absolutely suffering and stuff is going sideways and the weather is bad, I'm getting sleeted on or hailed on. It's like, Yep. Like this is, this is a rich and full human experience right now. Like this is as real as it gets. Like my fingertips are aching from the cold. Like my, my beard is frozen. Like, all right. Like this is, this is for real. Like I'm alive right now. Um, and that's way better than, than that experience of like having nothing matter at all. Um, it's it's funny. I heard this before, right? That, That the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. And it's kind of what you're describing, right? Because you think, you know, to care for someone, to be attracted to someone or whatever, it, it kind of, I get what you're saying in like the pain cave versus, you know, utter happiness or whatever, like you're feeling something. And it's similar to what I try to tell people, like the opposite of love is actually indifference, not hate. Because like you're saying, love and hate are some intense feelings. And the opposite of intense feeling is no feeling. Right. So it's, yep. yeah, no, that's awesome. Absolute that. parallels. And I mean, it, I love that you, you brought up love because, uh, you know, a little, a little kid at one of the showings of journey to 100 with a live question and answer, uh, at the end, I think it was Denver. Um, uh, a little, a little kid asked me like, Oh, how is it, you know, how was it possible for you to do this? And I was like, well, cause I love it. Right. Like, love and, and, and hate and, and these emotions are, are laced in with these experiences of, um, happiness and success and suffering and failure. Like all of these layered human, human emotions are, are all a part of, of these experiences for me. Um, like, and I think that's true for anyone that's chasing their passion. And I mean, that's part of the richness of aiming at something you're passionate about that you care about instead of something someone else is telling you to do. And the right, that's always a struggle in our head. And I, and I think the, the movie speaks to this as well is it, it's tough to weigh our own voice, our own inner wisdom and all the voices of what everybody else is telling us we ought to be focused on and we should and shouldn't do. Um, our friends, our family, all of that. Um, and 
it's something I've had to, I, I've had to do a lot of work on throughout my life to be like, all right. And I think that's a benefit of, of endurance sport is one of the things, even as a 16 year old, I started saying this, like one of my favorite parts of running was it's distilling nature. It's like, as you go out there each minute, each hour that you're running. And, and this is true with rock climbing as well. I find, you know, like I mentioned how the beautiful silence in my mind, um, all of these voices and these things you're supposed to be worried about and these things that went wrong that day and all the to-do lists you have, like those get ripped off layer by layer. I used to also think about like the, uh, the movie Shrek was popular at the time when I was a kid running. Um, and he talks about ogres are like onions, right? And it's like you, you're ripping off layers of the onion, getting down deeper and deeper. And so what you find if you get to have these experiences where you're pushing yourself is pretty soon you're left with a voice that's only yours. And yeah, it's a voice that's kind of wrestling against struggle of like, will I give up or will I keep going? Um, that who am I in this moment where things aren't going well, you know, which is that, that tube of toothpaste quote that I talked about. Um, but you get, to, you get to actually observe those voices in your head, if you will, of other people and other influences sort of getting peeled away where you can't think about them anymore. And you get to sort of notice like, oh, that wasn't my voice because it's one of the things that got ripped away. Um, as I pushed into this, this struggle and I pushed into this test. And I think that's one of the, the learning experiences that can come from bothering to go out and face these test pieces in life. And I think that's one of the reasons like rites of passage or something that are massively undervalued in modern, modern culture. Um, I think those rites of passage, uh, are sort of something that give us what we might refer to as common sense. And I think historically we knew common sense isn't something you're born with. Common sense comes from the shared experiences we create for everybody. Um, and I think over time, as we no longer all struggle against the same difficulties to stay alive in mo modern culture, that's what leads to less common sense um, is fewer and fewer people have a huge matched set of experiences to go, oh yeah, when you say this, I can recall my memory from this thing that we've all struggled with before and have some kind of framework to understand what you're saying to me. Um, yeah, I think, I think all of this is like really important to, to the, the human experience, especially when you want to talk about like flourishing versus just surviving. Oh, we could do um, another hour on what I call modern culture and technology having throwing the baby out with the bathwater with regard to the human experience a hundred percent because I agree, man, like we've left so much behind in shortcutting the learnings. Right. I mean, again, could go on for an hour on, on that topic, but Maybe I, we I love should. what you're saying. Maybe we, we should. should in another episode. Yeah. I would be, yeah. I would be stoked to chat with you again. Yeah, no, <laughs> we should. And we, we definitely should. So I guess to, to pick on, you know, the journey to a hundred a little bit more. Um, so what, so what major challenges did you have to overcome this? Right. Like, so we're, cause we're talking like, like, I know it wasn't easy peasy and, and we're going to get everyone to watch the movie and check it out. But like, what was the major challenge you had to get through on this? Like, what was the big, uh Oh, if there were. Um, so I, I guess I'll lay, I'll lay a touch of groundwork and then I'll get into the, the Bulger's 100, the Washington's hundred highest peaks learnings. But on the front end of this, something that I haven't mentioned is in 2015, I went out a car window in a rollover accident. And that's, that's included in the film. It's part, part of the struggle of my story. Massive setback, uh, shredded the LCL and ACL of my knee and had to have it reconstructed. 
broke nine ribs, collapsed a lung, broke a shoulder in two places, internal contusions through my lungs and other organs. Uh, when, when I you know, brought up my passion um, for moving and I was very into triathlon at the time as well, Ironmans and things, I brought up my love for these, these racing sports. Um, hadn't really discovered the mountains much yet. This actually was one of the things that triggered me to get out in them. Um, the doctor just responded like, matter of factly, like, oh yeah, you're probably just going to let that part of your life go. And like, I just remember that sinking feeling because the only version of myself I'd known to that point expressed himself through physical challenge. And the doctor's like, yeah, you're not going to do that anymore. Um, and so there's the sinking feeling. And then in the very next moment, that like spirit of like, oh, you don't, you don't know me. Like, you don't know what I'm willing to endure to get to where I want to be. And so in that moment, like, you know, because of the hard knock of like not breaking the school record, uh, back in high school and like a measure of reality that comes from that. It's like, okay, I might not ever, cause I'd qualified for a couple world championships in the 70.3, um, I- Ironman distance triathlon. Um, so I was pretty good at it. Uh, like I was willing to acknowledge in my mind, like, okay, I might not ever be fast again. I might not ever compete at that level. Like the lungs might not pull enough oxygen for me to be that kind of machine anymore, but I'll be damned if I settle for any, anything less in my recovery than getting back to some version of what I love. And that was like the, the promise, like whatever it takes, whatever the amount of pain. And right. That's something we learn when we're athletes is it's like, oh, I'll endure more discomfort now for a better version of me later. And you practice that every repeat of a workout. You practice that every workout of a week. You practice that every cycle of a a training season. It's like that's on repeat in all these different sizes in your life. And so it's like, that was already a part of my psyche. Like, yep, you just lean into the discomfort and whatever hurts, hurts more. And you live with that and you abide that pain for the better outcome later. And so it's like, I leaned into that through the, the rehab and PT process, like whatever they assigned me, I, I did it and I did whatever extra I could get from them to do. And on top of it, I was doing anything that wasn't injured in my body. Like, uh, you know, like when you break ribs, they pretty much are going to heal. Like they're going to heal. Even if you move around, it's like you're breathing all the time. So it's like, as soon as they let me out of the hospital, I hopped in the pool and started swimming miles, even though swimming was my least favorite of the triathlon disciplines. And so I could, I can still remember every time I'd pull with my right arm, the ribs would crackle and it would be painful. And it was just like, well, that's just pain. Like it's going to heal. It's just, it's uncomfortable, but at least I'm still moving my body and I'm like taking control of, of, of moving towards something. And so that became a part of the journey as well with, you know, I, I, I running was the slowest thing to come back. Like the range of motion in the knee was a really long two year process. But what I knew enough about as a PE teacher, cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm a physical educator, Uh, I knew enough about biomechanics that when you're walking up and down steep hills, you kind of keep your knee slightly bent anyways, and you don't have to go through the same range of motion. So I started hiking up and down steep hills, hills led to mountains, mountains led to bigger mountains. Pretty soon I was running into mountains that had technical summit blocks. Um, And so it's like, oh, I guess I need to become a rock climber now because I don't ever want to get turned around because I don't have the ability to, to do the thing necessary to get to the summit. And so joined the local climbing gym and had to be willing to endure sucking at something new. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, coming off the framework of being a really good triathlete, that was difficult where it's like, oh yeah, that 11 year old's better than me here. Um, and like just being willing to sit with that, like being the worst person there 
for months and months and months and until the next guy signs up, right? Um, <laughs> until the next guy signs up. I can still remember the first day, like six, seven months in. It might might have been more. It might have been nine months in when finally somebody walked in and I successfully climbed her out. And they were like, "Whoa, how did you do that?" And I'm like, "Oh my god." They actually think I'm good at this. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so that was a cool moment. Uh, but yeah, collected all those skills and I'm doing all the rehab. And then kind of like the running starts to come back where it's like, oh, I, I'm not fast, but I can cruise through 20 miles and my knee doesn't turn into a grapefruit and I'm not crippled for the next week. Okay, cool. Let's start jogging between mountain peaks. So this kind of really organic thing where it's like, oh, I want to go out and move through difficult terrain as quickly as I can. And I actually broke a couple of FKTs before I even knew what FKTs were. I was just out there like doing stuff. It's like, how fast can I move through these peaks? And so that was another thing that kind of made it like this organic, natural, like, of course I should chase this thing. I'm already doing it when I didn't even know it was a thing. Um, and this just gives me a forum and a community to be a part of while I do it. Um, and so then, you know, start the journey to hundred FKTs like all these different tests and all these different things. You know, I had like 13 or 14 different FKTs I failed at over the course of the the hundred, just abject failure or like wasn't even close. Um, so lots of like learning experiences and setbacks and lots of, you know, <laughs> sleep deprived nights where I think of like the Rainier Infinity Loop where I slept maybe uh, 70 minutes, so somewhere between 70 and 90 minutes the first night. And then like a 20 minute dirt nap until I was shivering so uncontrollably that it's like, okay, if I try to lay down any longer, I'm going to die. Um, and then it's like up and moving through the rest of the night after, on the second night. Um, just these like wild tests of what was possible for me. Um, and that like slowly, like each time you reach into the well and you ask yourself to go a little deeper, you always learn like, oh, where I thought my limits were are so far below what I'm capable of. And I, I one of the mantras uh, or practices, I guess I could say I've, I've become in tune with is when the voices are screaming in my head, that there's like, no way this is possible. Like you're hurting too bad. You're moving too slow. Your stuff is cramping up too bad. I'll just look down at my, my legs and it's like, are we still moving toward the goal? Okay. Then shut up and keep going. Like, like, you, you, you are not failing. Like this is still happening. You're like every minute you're moving toward your goal, regardless of what sort of extra feedback you're getting in your head from the the discomfort. And so just kind of abiding that discomfort and being present with it, um, to move toward goals. And so there's this huge learning experience with all these different things. Like, you know, I, some people think I don't have a fear of heights because I'll climb fifth class rock with no rope on. It's like, no, I experience fear of heights. Very real. Um, an intense fear of heights, but through my practice, you know, a lot of the rehearsal on a rope, I've learned that it's like, okay, my focus and my skill set can come up to match the difficulty of the train and the fear. And that's what creates this super quiet, super focused state. So what I've learned is fear is not a sign we need to turn and run. Fear is a sign that it's like, Hey, all those things you've learned in life right now, the decision you're about to make matters. That's what fear is telling us. It's like, hey, this one's real. This isn't, this isn't the, the training wheels are off. This one's for real. It's happening. Um, and I, I think that, that, that that's been a really important learning as well. And to then, you know, jump all the way now across to the 100 peaks in 50 days is it's like I already had a lot of these individual experiences with really big test pieces along the way. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like I was going to do any individual movement or any individual day that was going to be harder than anything I'd ever done. 
it's like I kind of knew I kind of I was able to package it all and know as I was planning this whole thing out like okay my skill set is there for this to be possible which is why I was drawn to it right it's like this this is something I'm pulling out of the chaos but the data says I have the skill set to be the one who moves the needle on this respected list in the Pacific Northwest to just redefine what people think is possible here. And that was really drawing to me like, oh, this is now bigger than just me. It's bigger than just myself. Um, And I kind of thought of it, you know, teacher mindset, right? I thought of it as this perfect final cumulative exam. Like it's every skill set I've ever used, but now I'm taking this quantum leap where I'm going to go for 50 days straight and attempt to not make a mistake with any of my skills for 50 days. Um, And so it was this big experiment on on the scale end of things. The longest FKT I'd done was uh, four and a half days prior. So 50 days is a lot longer. With a four and a half day effort, you know, a week long effort, you you can do what I like to refer to as writing a check your body can't cash. And you can just hobble around cripple for three weeks afterwards because you just went so hard and you messed your diet up and whatever. Um, and you can just like pay it out on the back end. It's like, that's not possible with this in three weeks, I will still be out here. And so the big learning experience was just being really dialed. I actually humorously called it learning to move like an old man, because I would actually pay attention. Like how many times am I jumping off of a downed tree on my right foot and my left foot? Cause if I do it all on the right foot, like I naturally would, cause I jump off my left foot, then by the end of this effort, I might have a stress fracture in my landing foot. So like all these little details, these nuances. Um, And so the real learning from it was this like just really embracing ongoing chaos and unsureness, right? Because at any point a fire could have broken out and the whole project was over. And that was true. And and fires did break out. And so I'd wake up and smoke in the air. Oh no, is it all over? And you know, you're fatigued and sleep deprived and exhausted. And then it's like, well, everything's way worse. So it's like going, okay, all right, don't freak out just do your research, trust your process. All right. So the fire is here, which means you should probably climb these peaks close to it first. Um, and so it's just this, this sort of ongoing experience with abiding the discomfort, abiding the, the unknown, um, and just continuing to problem solve and move forward in the face of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, the whole experience sort of culminated like after after going through a lot of insurances there were days where i got nauseous and like had to go half the day without eating because i would vomit and it was like well if this keeps up like no matter how much i love this right because i've talked about my love of it no matter how much i want to still keep going even with the discomfort the science says at some point the body shuts down and you know luckily i was always able to like sort of have the faith to keep going and and not let it turn me around and then you know my body did come back um but I can, I can still remember, I predicted that 50 days was possible from the beginning. And that's one of the reasons I chose it. Cause as a teacher, I have about 70 days off for summer, which means I wanted a little wiggle room with whatever I chose so that it's like, even if stuff went wrong a few times, I still could complete it in my school summer and come back to my students with this, this story of, of, of this epic tale of adventure. Um, and it came down to the wire where through all of the variables and the fires that broke out and the changed logistics to like move the chess pieces around, like I said, sort of thinking of different mountain groupings and outings as how they fit together. Um, it came down to on the final mountain, final day on, on August, August 3rd, that if I could climb the mountain fast enough, I could keep 
the record reading 50 days on the front end, right? The final record ended up being 50 days, 23 hours, 43 minutes. So I sprinted down the side of this volcano, just like pummeling down this thing, hopping rocks and down through the scree and down through the, the ash and the pumice um, and sprinted out to the finish. And, and by 17 minutes, kept this record reading uh, 50 days at the front end. And that felt like I flopped on the ground and the film kind of captures this. It was the same sort of flop on the ground as when I was a little kid. And the feeling I felt in that moment, having, having raced out and brought everything I could to bear on this project and with all of the variables to, to have ha- had it come together so close to what I predicted, the, the feeling I experienced as I lay there and you can see that the smile on my face as I'm laying there in the movie, the, the best way I can sum it up is hard work, well done. And, and that, that to me, that, that moment I got to, even though the whole experience was amazing, right? I was loving all these challenges I was facing along, along the way that, that feeling laying there going, yeah, that was pretty much everything I thought I could bring to bear on this. That one's gonna, that one's gonna sit well with me for a long, long time. Yeah, man. No, it's awesome. And, and I know you got to jump here, so we'll, we'll bring this to close and collaborate on getting another time to chapel in some of these other areas. But man, no, one, thank you. I honor you for doing it, man, let alone coming on here and sharing it. But yeah, it's, it's awesome to, I mean, the reasons, the example you're setting for your students and other, anyone else to watch this, you know, and, and, and to your point, right? Like, like what you did, man, no one can ever take that from you. It's something money can't buy, right? Like, and that's, that's that feeling, right? That, that it's just done. It's hard, hard work. Well done, man. It's awesome. Hard work. Well done. Hard work. Well done. Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah, let's definitely, you know, maybe we can give your, 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 your listeners a chance to watch the film themselves and circle back sometime in the near or distant future and kind of do a little, a little recap and after chat, um, yeah, because this is enjoyable. I feel like we could we could probably talk easy another hour. <laughs> oh yeah, because yeah, I want to pick your brain on a few things. I won't I won't spoil them here, but uh, cool, man. No, so uh, where do, where do they find the movie? And and then we'll jump on out here. Um, I will go ahead and send you all of the links, and you can just have them in your show description cool. so that they can just find them right there. Cool, brother. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for coming on, and we'll we'll get you on again real soon. Absolutely, this has been a pleasure. I better run off and get my first graders. <laughs> all right, thanks, Jason. <laughs>